Turn your Bibles. We're going to be in the book of Genesis chapter 1 this morning. Genesis chapter 1. And as you're turning there, what did the one hat say to the other hat? You stay here, I'll go on ahead. Why did Christian trivial pursuit never take off? Simple, because Jesus is always the answer. All right, one more. Have you ever tried blindfolded archery? You don't know what you're missing. Some of you got it. Or you know you're going to repeat it tomorrow, so come on. Anyhow, it's hard to believe that we have one full week of the new year behind us. Amen? And for many, a lot of people, the new year starts out with those resolutions, don't they, right? You know, those promises that we make in January just to, uh, you know, break in February. New Year's resolutions. Here's some uh, quotes about New Year's. Youth is when you're allowed to stay up late on New Year's Eve. Middle-aged is when you're forced to. Gentleman by the name of G.K. Chesterton, he said, the object of a new year is not that we should have a new year. It is that we should have a new soul and a new start. Unless a man makes a new year's resolution, he would make no resolution. Unless a man starts afresh about things, he will certainly do nothing uh, effective. Unless a man be born again, he shall by no means enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's actually some pretty good counsel, isn't it? The, uni- the new year is not just about ushering in another year. The new year is about new beginnings. Amen? New beginnings. It's about keeping the past in the past. That means putting away those old wounds. That means burying those old grudges. That means forgetting all of those past failures. Amen? Jesus said a man putting his hand to the plow, if he turns and looks behind him, is not worthy for the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus was talking about, keeping the past in the past, keeping your eyes fixed on Christ, keeping your eyes fixed ahead. Amen? That's the important thing. It signals a chance to start all over again. That is, if we look up and we look in the right direction. Amen? And this morning, that's exactly what I want us to do. I want us to see how we can have a new beginning. And for that, there's no better place to start than right at the very beginning in the book of Genesis. Amen? Now, the word Genesis literally means origins or beginnings. In the original Hebrew, the title is Bereshith, and that simply means in the beginning. And the book of Genesis is, the book is separated in actually 11 distinct sections. And each section begins with, these are the generations. Now, this book spans more historical time than all of the other 65 books of the Bible combined. It's incredible the amount of time that Genesis spans. 
And Genesis truly is the book of beginnings, as it records the beginnings of almost everything, from the universe, to life, to mankind, to the Sabbath, marriage, family, art, literature, language, the, 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 the construction of cities. It's also the origin of sin, death, sacrifice, and praise God, redemption. All of those are found in the book of Genesis. In fact, in its very first verse, we see the tone for the book set. In the beginning, God. Amen? Let's pick up right there in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament, and divided the waters which were under the firmament, from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass and and herb that yields seed and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. So I want to stop there. I kind of want to just back up to that first verse again. And and we see here, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God. Notice how the Bible never makes the argument about God's existence. Amen? It just clearly states the fact that he does exist and has always existed. Another truth here that we need to understand, that, that phrase, in the beginning does not designate the beginning of eternity past. That's not what it's talking about here. It's only referring to the beginning of creation and the beginning of time. Amen? For God is eternal. He's without beginning and he's without ending. God is not constrained by time. So when we read here in the beginning, God, he's talking about that's when he created the beginning of creation, and that's when he began time here on earth. Amen? Psalm 92 tells us, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. It's talking about God's eternality, right? God has always existed. Now let's look at verse 2 back at Genesis 1. 
The earth was without form and was void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now here we see God beginning his work. It on a world that was just completely out of shape. The Bible tells us here that the earth was without form and it was void. Kind of picture here a potter with a, a lump of clay in front of him. Amen? That lump of clay has no form. It has no shape. It has no design to it whatsoever. It is without form. It's completely void. Amen? Now, I want to throw another note in here. There are some that wrongly believe in what is called the gap theory. Amen? This theory states that there is a large period of time between verses 1 and verses 2. We need to understand that this belief is never taught by Christ. It was never taught by the early church. It was never taught by the apostles. It was never taught by Jewish historians or Christian historians. It's actually a relatively new theory that was uh, proposed in 1814 by a Scottish minister named Chalmers. And I believe Chalmers' motives, I've read a lot of his, his beliefs, his writings, and I believe his motives was well-intentioned, but they were still wrong. Amen? Chalmers was trying to merge the biblical creation account with new scientific theory that the earth was millions of years old. And he was trying to just merge the two beliefs. And the problem is, it's something he didn't need to do, and it's not something that we need to do today, amen? The Bible proves and disproves scientific theory on its own merit, amen? We have to understand that there's more holes in radioactive carbon-14 dating than there is in a thousand pounds of Swiss cheese. Amen. If you study it long enough, you're going to see that they've taken trees that they knew were 50 years old and they put carbon 14 dating to it, and those trees came back 3 million years old. There's a lot of holes in that dating. They have to have billions of years in order for the theory of evolution to even have a chance. And that's why they, you keep hearing about the, the uh, age of the earth being billions and billions of years old. It's just not true. The Bible clearly tells us, this is what we need to know. The Bible clearly tells us that God created the earth in six literal days. Amen. That's what we need to know. Now back to verse 2. It says, And darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Bible's telling us here that God's Holy Spirit moved upon the earth to bring about a complete change to that big pile of clay. Amen? And God wants to do the same in our lives. He wants to bring us purpose. He wants to bring light into our life. He wants to mold us, and he wants to conform us into the image and the masterpiece of Jesus Christ himself. Amen. The first thing I want us to see this morning is that God brings light. Verse 3, Then God said, Let there be light, 
and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. God said, let there be light, and there was light. The Bible tells us that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Amen? God is light, and not only is he light, but he's also the source of all light. We need to understand that. In Exodus chapter 34, we read how Moses' face shined so bright that he had to put a veil on it when he was around other people, just from being in a, a fraction, partially in the presence of God. That is the light of God. In the book of Revelation chapter 22, Verse 5, the Bible tells us about heaven. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light. Amen? Let's go to John, the Gospel of John chapter 1 for just a second. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we need to understand there's two words, right? We have God's written word, and then there's God's living word, Jesus Christ himself. This is talking about Jesus, the living word, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the what? The light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend that. Now, take a note there. We're going to come back to verse 5 in just a second. Now, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, Jesus Christ, which gives light to every man coming in to the world. Now, I want to backtrack to verse 5 real quickly. Now, it says here that um, the darkness did not comprehend it. That literally means that darkness cannot overcome it. Darkness cannot put it out. Darkness cannot extinguish light. Amen? This is that epic battle between light and darkness. Amen? Lucifer, whose name means light bearer, turned and he rebelled against God. Now he's no longer the son of the morning. Now he's Satan, the father of the night. Darkness has no power over light. I'll give you an example. When you're in a completely dark room, how do you get rid of the darkness? Use a shop vac and suck it out? Use a shovel and shovel it out the window? No, what do you do? You flick on the light. Soon as you turn on the light, what does the darkness do? It flees. Amen? Darkness has no power over light. Listen, we're not even able to look directly into the noonday sun, can we? Our eyes can't even take it. And that is just a tiny fraction of the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what we need to understand. 
You know, sometimes I hear people say on a, on a cloudy day that the, the sun just didn't shine today. That's never a true statement, amen? If you've ever been on a plane and that plane goes above the clouds, what do you see shining bright? The sun. Even on the cloudiest of days, that sun is indeed shining bright. You can block out light, but you can never put it out, amen? You can never extinguish it. We need to stop worrying about the power of darkness, and we need to start walking in the victory of the pure light of Jesus Christ. Amen. Darkness has no power over light. Now getting back to, to verse 5 again. And the darkness did not comprehend it. Now let's skip down. Going back to our original text in book of Genesis. Going back to verse 5 there. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. First day of what? Well, first day of creation, but also the first day of the week. What is the first day of the week? It's Sunday, right? First day of the week is Sunday. So there's something interesting here. I want, to know, I want you to notice that God sent light into the world on the first day of the week, Sunday. Now, those of you who are familiar with the creation account, the sun wasn't created yet, was it? Amen? The sun's not created until day four. But we read here that God sent light into the world on the first day on Sunday. I want to show you a little spiritual nugget here. This is a foreshadow of Christ's resurrection. His resurrection turned Sunday into the Christian Sabbath. Amen? This we need to understand, just as God sent light into the world on that first day of the week, that first Sunday, Christians, as Christians, we gather together here today in church on what day of the week? On Sunday, right? We gather here on Sunday to receive light, and then we go out and we send that light to all who will receive it. Amen. It's a foreshadow of Christ's resurrection. We are called to be salt and what else? Light to this dark and dying world. And God saw the light, verse 4, and divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night. God called the light day. The Bible gives Jesus another name. As Lord of the Sabbath, he is also called the day spring. Amen. God's desire is to, is to, spend, uh, is to send spiritual light to every single person through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus declared, he said, I am the light of the world. Jesus came to dispel the darkness of sin from our soul and from our lives. He came to dispel the darkness of separation that sin caused between God and man. And he's inviting each and every one of us to come unto him and receive him into our heart and into our life. Let him remove that darkness and bring us into his perfect 
light. Amen. So God brings light. Second thing I want us to see here this morning is that God brings order. Verse 6. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. You see, when God sent light into the world, that light of God revealed the chaotic condition that was upon the earth at the time. So God then divided the waters, and he formed our atmosphere, or the heaven, and he called it firmament. He's now preparing life, or, or earth, to be able to support life. Now this firmament was like a, it was a canopy of mist that surrounded the earth, and is very much like a greenhouse effect. Amen? And another benefit that the firmament created, that canopy of mist, was that it also blocked out the sun's harmful UV, uh, UV rays, the ultraviolet rays, which are very, very harmful to us, thus supporting the longevity of life back then. You know, we read in the Bible, 900 years was probably the average age in early times. Amen? So then we see that God's Holy Spirit moved across the earth, dividing the waters. God's Holy Spirit brings order out of chaos. The Apostle Paul, he wrote to the church at Corinth that God is not the author of confusion, but the author of what? Peace. Amen? God is never the author of confusion. Wherever there is confusion, God's not in it. Amen? He is the author of peace. When God wants order, he does some dividing. Amen? And God's greatest divider is Calvary's cross. I want you to think about that for a minute. The cross is the ultimate divider. There's no neutral ground when it comes to Calvary's cross. It divides all humanity, irregardless of wealth, status, color of skin. It doesn't matter. John chapter 3, verse 18 Jesus said, he who believes in him, in Christ, is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The cross is a divider, condemned and not condemned. Amen? A perfect example is illustrated when Christ was nailed to Calvary's cross. On one side, he had a thief who mocked him along with the crowd, ignored his deity, ignored his mercy, ignored his grace, ignored his forgiveness and rejected him. But on the other side, you had another thief who realized his sin, admitted his guilt, and he flat out called Jesus. He said, Lord, recognize him as his Savior. Two sides of the cross. One side condemned the thief who rejected Christ, and one side not condemned. 
the thief who recognized Christ as his Savior. And the greatest question you need to answer is which side of the cross are you on? Amen. Last point I want us to see here is that God brings life. Skip down to verse 11. Genesis 1. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass and the herb that yields seed and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth and it was so. And the earth then sprung forth, it brought forth the grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God now brings life out of that dry ground. Lush grass, plants galore, fruit trees spring up, and they become fruitful and abundant. Now, it's ironic. I've mentioned this many, many times. Of all the commandments of God, there's only one that we didn't break. That was to, the commandment to be fruitful and multiply. Amen. That's the only commandment of God we didn't break. But God creates life and it became fruitful and abundant. And this is God's desire for our life as well. Amen. Jesus said, the thief comes to kill and to destroy and to steal. But I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Amen? More abundantly. John 15, 8. Jesus said, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. God's desire is to bless us with a fruitful and abundant life. Amen? Lives that are filled with love, with joy, and with peace. This new life, we need to understand, can only come through Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. I want you to think about that for a second. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. In Jesus Christ, we can have that new beginning. Jesus wants to give us a new life, a new beginning, a life full of purpose. And all we have to do is just call upon him. He's only one prayer away. That's my challenge for each and every one of us for the new year. A new beginning in Jesus Christ.